This morning's lesson, Lesson 14, is a weighty one. It asks the question, is it a sin to not evangelize? So is not evangelizing a, a sin? If you have your Bibles, open up to Ezekiel 33. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story that uh, yeah, happened early on in my walk with Jesus and really uh, pressed me to think about this, this question. So I had become a Christian in college, and then um, after I graduated, I was, gonna move to, I was moving to Texas to study the, the Bible under a pastor named Tommy Nelson. Uh, he basically walked verse by verse through books of the Bible, similar to what we do in boot camp or, or Bible time. Um, and uh, I, was, I was excited, so we loaded up uh, my Pontiac Safari 6000 LE station wagon um, that I got from my grandpa. <laughs> Um, with mattresses on top, and the whole thing was stacked, and it's uh, just me driving from West Virginia to, to Texas, and uh, rolling down there, and um, anyway, I'm driving along, and I don't know where I was, it was probably Tennessee or somewhere mid, midway, and um, I'm having one of my, you know, super charismatic moments where I've got the music up really loud, and I'm like, you know, Jesus, whatever you want from me, like, use me in this season, I'm yours, you know, I'm boohooing, I love you, Lord, all that. And just having one of those, those I'm yours moments. And um, as, I, as I'm driving, I see a guy on the side of the highway walking along with a gas can. And um, I, again, Jesus didn't speak to me, but I sensed in my heart, I should stop, pick this guy up, get him some gas, and tell him about Jesus. So I just drove on by, and I'm like, like, Jesus, anything you want, I'm yours, you know, all of that, and, and just kept on, kept on driving. But it didn't go away, the feeling that I was supposed to, to stop and to, to help this guy. Ten miles I drive, and it wouldn't stop. This, this burden that I was, I was supposed to, so fine, fine, Jesus, fine. So I exit, go over the back, drive back. However, back to where I thought about where it was, over, back, down, driving. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm here. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And as I crested over a hill, um, I saw on the right-hand side of the road ambulances and police cars, and the person had been hit by a car. The next hour was quiet. And I, I really had to begin wrestling with what just happened. Like I knew as much as I could without God talking to me that I was supposed to have stopped, helped that guy, at least is the way I was reading what was going on. So I began to, I began to, to ask questions. Had I, had I sinned by not stopping and, 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 and helping him and sharing the gospel with him? Um, I don't know whether he died or not, but if he died and he was an unbeliever and he went to hell, was that my fault? In what sense am I responsible for him? Today we're going to talk about, is it a sin to not evangelize? And if so, what does that, what does that mean? 
Because we all don't have those sorts of intense experiences all the time. But the reality is, is that we're surrounded by people all the time who are in just as a desperate situation as that guy was, and he didn't know it, nor did I. Ezekiel 33, I think, speaks to this um, in a way that, that needs some nuancing, but is, is relevant for us. Ezekiel 33, the Lord coming to the prophet Ezekiel, he says, beginning in verse 1, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But, verse 6, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. From this text, the watchman has one job. What is it? Yeah. To, to blow the, the trumpet, to, to, to warn people of danger. They're, they're to watch the horizon, and if they saw an approaching army bearing the sword of war, they were to blow the trumpet so that the people could respond appropriately. Danger is coming. Now, if the people heard and blew it off and just kept sipping their lattes, um, what, does, what does the text say um, happens to them? The blood is on their own heads. Their death would be their own fault because they didn't respond to the warning. right? But if the, if the watchman saw an approaching army and remained silent not warning the people, um, they would be guilty of what? Of abdicating their responsibility, right? They, those who perish would be guilty for their own sins, but the watchmen would be guilty of their blood in a sense. Now, the, the parallel to evangelism is, is somewhat clear, right? How, how, what's, the, what's the correlation between this text and we'll, we'll talk about some ways that it's not similar in a moment. But first, what are the ways that it is similar, the call to evangelism and what we see here with the responsibility of the watchman? Good. Yeah, but believers in Christ know something. What do we know? Judgment, Judgment is coming. We know it. And the way we know this is why? <laughs> because we too uh, were under judgment. 
and someone warned us about uh, the coming judgment and, and, and the fact that we needed to turn from our sin and trust in Christ. We've been forgiven, and we have escaped the coming wrath, and now we've been charged as heralds, or watchmen if you will, uh, we are to announce that judgment is coming. We're to announce bad news. But we're also to then to announce that there's good news, that there is a refuge for sinners, which is Christ Himself, who died and rose and is, yeah, stands ready to for, forgive even now. Right? So this is evangelism um, is, in a sense, acting as, as the watchman here. Now, what, what if the... What if the watchman remains silent? What if we disobey the command to warn of coming judgment? Are we... Yeah, when it, when it, when it correlates to evangelism, in what sense are we, we guilty of, of sin? Will blood be on our hands? I think this is something that we need to, to think about. Now... Um, we want to be careful to apply Old Testament texts about prophets directly to ourselves. So I think it's important to ask, is this concept anywhere else? Um, it is. Yeah. Jerry, you had a question? <coughs> no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, yeah, so I think the application of actual Old Testament prophets who are obligated to speak God's word to God's people and mm-hmm. warnings of God's like literal impending judgment upon them. Mm-hmm. So there certainly are, there's unique ways that this applies to Old Testament prophets. I think it's interesting to see, are there any correlations to the New Testament? Well, if you go to Acts, twice the Apostle Paul seems to reference this, this idea. Listen to this from Acts chapter 18, uh, verse verse 6. He says, uh, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, so he had just proclaimed the gospel, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, for now I will go to the Gentiles. Paul saw himself as having the responsibility to warn the people uh, about Christ and the coming judgment. And he says, Now the guilt is off of me. It's on you. Your blood be on your own hands. Acts chapter 20, when he's speaking to the the elders in Ephesus, in chapter uh, 20, verse 26, Speaking to them, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul here, again, New Testament, New Covenant believer, sees a correlation between the responsibility of the watchman and his responsibility. Now, again, Paul himself has a unique role. What's his role? He's an apostle. So, Ezekiel and Paul were distinct as prophet and an apostle. They have a unique office and a unique call, a unique responsibility. But, I do think seeing this same sort of language in both Old Testament and New Testament should cause us to pause and to reflect and to see that there is, in some sense, a correlation in regards to responsibility to evangelize 
Um, and, and the danger of not. Okay? Now, what we have here is we have eight, eight ideas that we're going to work through in our time. We'll take questions. Um, as we do this, I want to make sure that we don't embellish our role um, in, in a way that yeah, heaps unnecessary guilt on us, stirs up unnecessary anxiety. But at the same time, I want to also make sure that we don't underemphasize our responsibility. That, that doesn't just shrug off evangelism and the command to do so as if it's some kind of special category that God doesn't really expect us to do it. Right? It is true that God is the evangelist and we are the mouthpieces. So how does this, how does this question of is it, not a, or is it a sin to not evangelize, how should we, how should we think of, about this in light of everything we've said so far? Well, number one, Evangelism is commanded. Evangelism is commanded. Could somebody read for us uh, Matthew 28, 18 through uh, 20, and then somebody else read for us Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Who can get the Matthew verse? Garrett, okay, who can get the, uh, the Acts 1, 8? All right, got it. All right, let's go ahead and listen, listen to this. Uh, Matthew 28, this is Jesus speaking to the apostles. Good. So the commission for the apostles was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, making disciples, right? The way you get a disciple is you get somebody who's not a disciple. You call them to repent of their sin, to follow Jesus, and to obey him as Lord, trusting him as Savior. Now, some people have tried to say that this commission was only responsible, or only the apostles received this commission. From the text, though, what would you point to to say, no, this can't be limited just to the disciples or the apostles? To the end of the age, right? So the, this commission that is begun by the apostles is to be carried on by the disciples who come from these apostles until the end of the age. This commission is in, enduring to all nations, okay? Acts 1.8, this is Jesus' um, same scene. Luke recording now um, final words before he ascends. Go ahead. Okay, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Good. So they're called to be disciple makers who now hear in verse uh, 8, by the power of the Holy Spirit, serve as witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth, which serves as the outline for the book of Acts, that the gospel is to go out. But again, in the same way that um, all believers are to yeah, be a part of the Great Commission, this is, it's the same Great Commission here. So evangelism is commanded. I've given you a bunch of other verses there that you can read over later. Um, this is not something that's much debated. If you'd, uh, if you'd like to discuss this, if you're, like, if you're not sure that we're actually supposed to evangelize, happy to talk with you offline. But this is, this is something that's assumed for Christians. Okay. Secondly... Um, well, that's my next point. Evangelism is assumed. <laughs> it's, it's assumed. Um, when you study the book of Acts and the epistles, the assumption is that the church is making disciples. 
in fact, most of, the, most of the early churches were not planted by apostles. It, it happens after Stephen is stoned to death, and you've got all these no-name believers who scatter all back out through um, into, to their homes, and as the apostles go out, there's some churches that have already begun, right? Um, and this is, yeah, this is an interesting phenomenon, that the, the church is taking the gospel, and when you read through... The, Acts, and you read through the epistles, the assumption is this is what everybody's doing. Like, what else are you going to be doing? Just building buildings and collecting people? Like, that's not the goal. The goal is to be helping people who don't know Jesus repent of their sins and trust in Jesus before Jesus returns and judgment comes, right? So evangelism is commanded. It's also, it's assumed. It's assumed. This is, this is one of the reasons it's not commanded more, uh, I think, so we, we see it several times here, but um, you would think if it's so important, it would be commanded more. Well, again, it's like, what else are, are we going to be going to be doing? So it's, it's assumed here. Thirdly, um, evangelism ought be, um, not out to be, should be ought be. So, sorry about that. Evangelism ought be impulsive for believers. Evangelism ought to be impulsive for believers. What do I mean by impulsive? In a sense, it's what else are you going to talk about? It, it should be what, what comes out of us. Think about uh, the woman at the well. As soon as she meets Jesus, what does she do? She runs back into her town, and what does she say? Come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? I mean, it's, it's what she, like, what else is she, she just, I met Jesus, like, come and meet him, right? The man born blind, who Jesus heals, and then the religious leaders call him in and they're inquiring him. You remember what, what, they, what they're asking him about Jesus? You remember what he says to him? Yeah, he's like, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind, and now I see, and he did it. <laughs> he can't help but testify, right? When you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you see that the, the believers in Thessalonica received the word in such a way that they couldn't help but then be witnesses to all of Macedonia. And it says all of Macedonia heard the word because of them. In a sense... Evangelism, so evangelism is certainly commanded, it's assumed, and it, it should be what's impulsive for believers. We're all evangelizing all the time. Think about it. I mean, if, if you eat at a restaurant that you just think is amazing, what do you do? You post on social media, like, look at this, this steak's amazing, or whatever, and you're like, you're going to tell people, oh, you should go to this place. Or if you saw a movie that was great, what do you do? You oh, you got to do this. Or if your team wins today, or Monday night, um, what do you... What are you going to do? You're going to tell everybody. You're going to wear your shirt, right? We evangelize things that are important to us all the time. It should be impulsive. If, if we're abiding in Christ, it ought, it ought be impulsive, right? Fourthly, never evangelizing is a sin of omission. Now, there's an important word here. Never Okay, so we're going to start there with the most basic assumption, right? So never evangelizing is a sin of omission. So you have 
two sorts of sins, if you will. This is not a biblical category, but it's, it's one that I think is helpful. You have sins of commission, where you, what's the sin of commission? That would be an example, killing. Yes, so doing something you're not supposed to do. Very good. Murder would be an example of that. Um, what's the sin of omission? Not doing something you are supposed to do. Right? So, sins of commission and omission are both, are both sins. Anybody know what uh, James 4.17 says? Anybody look that up? Yeah, go ahead. Read that one more time. It is sinful to know the right thing to do and to not do it. This applies in a vast array of things, including evangelism. If we know this is a commanded, if we know this is assumed, if we know this is to be impulsive and we're not doing it, then it is, it is sinful to disobey God's command. All right? Number five. Now, again, we're going to work through these, and then we'll talk about it, okay? So as, as we're working through, feel free to write down your questions. We're going, to, we're going to talk about it. Number five. Evangelizing for the wrong reasons is also sinful. <clears throat> Evangelizing for the wrong reasons is also sinful. <clears throat> the, the texts that I give there, Matthew 6, um, 1 through 13, you actually go 1 through 19, where they talk about prayer and giving and fasting for show so people see you doing good things, yet also, but doing them for the wrong reasons. Or Philippians 1, 15 through 18, Paul speaks about those who are preaching Christ for pre, out of pretense, right? They're doing it for wrong motives. Uh, but then he praises, he says, well, at least he's being preached, you know. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I think this is something to, to remember as well. Evangelizing for the wrong reasons is also sinful. So what are, what are some wrong reasons that people might evangelize? Even, even from this lesson, you might hear this lesson, and what might be a wrong, sinful response? Just to not sin. Yeah, so I just... Yeah, j- guilt. Let's go, let's go with that. So you just feel guilty. You hear this, and you're like, ugh. And you get this guilt, guilt-induced new legalism, right? That that is what's now going to fuel you. That you just want to not be guilty, right? That would be, that'd be an example of, of evangelizing for the wrong reasons. <laughs> What are some others? Yeah, you want, to be able to, you want to be the person, you want to be the guy or the girl who comes in here every week and be like, well, I got another story if nobody else does, you know, um, and be the one who's always got something to say, right? That can, that can, be, that can be fleshly as well, right? Other reasons that it might be sinful to evangelize. Okay, yeah, so I mean, there's certainly like telling a false gospel or just being fueled with anger, like all of you, like God hates you all, right? Like that sort of evangelism. Yeah, that's good. Or, or as you... far as like, say, leaving out a certain part so that it, yep. if, if you, so I'm thinking of like prosperity gospel preachers and some guys that don't talk about hell so that, I don't know if the motive is either to sure. Yeah, that's good. So there's certainly certain sorts of evangelism that would not be faithful, and that true would be, would be a sort of sin, right? 
I think just dead duty, just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to evangelize 15 times um, and uh, this month, and uh, that's, that's the goal, and I'm just going to do it. And not, not be prayerful, not be trusting the Lord, not be hopeful, just I'm going to do this as dead religious activity. Or, or another, another way is to simply do it as, as a way to try to earn God's favor. Right? So we certainly want to be pleasing to God in, in all that we do. So that, that's one thing. Actually, Paul speaks of evangelism in Romans chapter 15. He, the offering of the Gentiles that he gives to God as a, as a pleasing aroma. So he sees conversions as, as worshipful offering. So in one sense, it really is pleasing. But there's another sense in which we could do it to try and earn God's favor. Those would all be ways that we could, could evangelize sinfully. Right? Um, number six. Number six. Uh, we must discern what sins tempt us to not evangelize. So, yeah, we must discern what sins tempt us to, to not evangelize. Sin almost always runs in packs. It, it's rare that you're just, you're just struggling with one sort of sin. Sin is often almost always, accompanied by other sins. So what other, what other sorts of sins might be fueling your sin of not evangelizing? What are some of them? Pride. Yeah, pride? Like how? How would pride show itself? Like you're in a, say a workplace, or maybe that's more fear of man. I don't know, but you don't want to be the lone Christian. Okay, okay. Know, Yeah, so prideful fear of man, right? Fear, fear of man is a snare, Proverbs says. It's, it's a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be safe, right? So, yeah, we, we go ahead. No, yeah. I always get confused whether, like, there's ways to approach <coughs> even a, a passing knowledge of God. And I always confuse whether it's fear of man and pride or whether it's just a tactical approach mm-hmm. to actually get them to a place of maybe listening. Mm-hmm. That Sure. Yeah, I think we want to be thoughtful. We want to be patient. We want to be wise. Jesus uses all sorts of different questions and angles. Sometimes he goes right after the heart. Other times, well, he's always going after the heart, but sometimes he, he does kind of in a way around it. I think there's, there's you a lot of freedom in the way that we're, but the, but they, the difference is there, you're, you're aiming to do it. And I think we want to, <clears throat> this is not intended to, to paralyze you with fear of like, oh, so I'm not evangelizing, but, but, but now I want to evangelize, but I don't want to do it sinfully, so you can just, you can, this is not intended to in, induce anxiety, but to, to bring a bit of sob- sobriety, right? So fear of man, what are some other sins that might accompany if, lack of evangelism? Yeah, so just desiring to be a peacemaker, which would, uh, I, I think, ties back into f- fear of man, that we, we really just don't want to rock the boat, we want to keep everything calm, we don't want drama, we like that kind of stuff, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you hear the church of Laodicea this morning who had grown lukewarm, um, they were enamored with the world. They loved idols and everything that the world had offered them. They were, they were caught up in luxury, and that was, that was their life, and it had drawn them away from the source, who is Christ, and they had grown lukewarm. Yeah, certainly. Prayerlessness, lovelessness. You just don't care about people, don't 
Don't, this is why the first prayer that we encourage people to pray in this, this class is, Lord, help us to see lost people like you do. Give me eyes to see people as created in your image who are destined for an eternity with you or apart from you and help that to matter to me. Right? Yeah. So I think it's important for us to discern what sins tempt us to not evangelize. And again, I encourage you to do this in the context of community with friends. Be like, okay, Talk to me about evangelism and just ask me a bunch of questions about why I don't do it. <laughs> um, uh, and just, just dig in and go in and, and, and let's yeah, help one another. Number seven, believers are responsible to warn people of coming judgment. Believers are responsible to warn people of coming judgment. This is part of our job. So it kind of goes back to the Ezekiel 33 idea. Um, but this is part of our, our responsibility because we know what everybody else doesn't know. We know what the world doesn't know because Christ has told us through his word, right? Now, I want to, before I get into a couple of the things about this, I just want to be really clear. People are responsible for their own choices, right? Uh, listen to this from Matthew 10, 14. Jesus speaking to the, the apostles as they were, they were going out in one of their early missions. He says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. It was a, it was a sign of judgment. So it's on you. That's fine. I'm going to leave the dust here. Um, but it's, it's a way of, of, of Jesus yeah, teaching them that, that those people will be responsible for not responding to the gospel. Right? But you're responsible <laughs> for making sure that you proclaim it and make it as clear as you're able in the opportunity that God gives you. Right? And again, this is not mean. When, I t- when we talk about it as a sin to not evangelize, well, well, I'll go ahead and say here because we'll come back to it in a moment. But, you know, are, are you trying <laughs> is, is part, of the, part of the question that needs to be, to be asked here. Right? So if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they shut you down or they just like you're not listening to it or, you know, the bus comes and you can't finish, like you're not in sin. Like, that's, 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 not, that's not what we're, what we're getting after here. Um, but this is, we are to, responsible to warn people of, of coming judgment. Now, what's the logical question then that comes from that? So if we're responsible to warn people of coming judgment, what's a logical question that would follow that? How do we do it effectively? Okay, how do we do it effectively? How long do you keep trying? How long do you keep trying? These are good questions. Maybe... Pardon? Yeah, who do, who do we share this with? Right? So which people? Which people are we supposed to warn? When. Good. When? Yeah. Let's think about the who for just a minute, because I think this is important. Because one of the things that I fell into early as a young believer was that I became so paranoid and anxious that, I mean, every single person who was around me, I felt like if I didn't share the gospel with them, that I was sinning against them and against God. And I just, I mean, that, you can see how you can, you can get sideways real fast in that, right? Um, so I think first and foremost, we want to think about um, concentric circles. I think is a helpful way to think about responsibility. So those who are closest to you, family members, close friends, um, roommate, right? So if, if a parent never shares the gospel with their children, they have sinned against their children. If a child has parents who have no idea that they're a Christian, 
and have not shared the gospel with them, or at least tried, that's sinful. I mean, sure, we could talk about particular scenarios, happy to hear that, but yeah, if your closest family members don't know that you're a Christian because you're afraid of what they're going to think about you, that's, that's most certainly a, a sin. We should, we, should, yeah, we should repent of that, right? Um, so I'll give you an example real quickly. Um, of my, my granddad, before he passed away, I, I was visiting one time, and I really felt burdened that I was supposed to share the gospel with him. Um, I wrote about this on a little article called uh, The Toughest Conversation I'm Glad I Had, or something like that. Um, but this, so this is an example of the opposite of the gas can, where I knew I was supposed to do it, and I was just like, hey, Grandpa, can I talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> you know, and, and Grandpa was that guy. He was, yeah, he, was, he was a good man, but he was, you know, he's a World War II guy. He's kind of just distant, kind of, you know, you didn't, Grandpa was Grandpa. He was stern. He didn't want to make him mad. Um, and so having that conversation was terrifying. Um, but by God's grace, I was able to have a, a really good conversation. He read Mike McKinley. I gave him Mike McKinley's little book, uh, Am I Really a Christian, to follow up because he had kind of grown up in a Presbyterian church that was, I think, gospel-less. But um, we got to have some really good conversations. And I, I really think I said everything I was supposed to say before he died. Um, I can't say that for every, every person that I've been around. But, um, yeah, so those who are closest to us. Um, another, what about those who we have uh, consistent interaction with so closest family consistent like co-workers neighbors friends those we're in hobbies with um, yeah I, I would say just pastoral counsel that as as the as you move away from those who are closest we still have responsibility but I think it's got to feel a little bit different we certainly the question though is are you praying are you planning are you trying are you trying to drop hints with the people who are around you so if you work at a place for five years and then somebody finds out you're a Christian and nobody knows, I think that's strange. If somebody works with you for five weeks and doesn't know, I think it's strange. It doesn't mean they need to know you're a Reformed Baptist, you know, of the Southern Baptist Convention or the Church of the Hill. Like, you don't need to know all that kind of stuff necessarily. But do they know that there's something about you that is different because you follow Jesus? Um, yeah, I, th I think there needs to be... Are we being intentional with the people that are around us? And again, those timetables are, you know, take them, take them or leave them. But I think the idea is, do the people around you that you have most consistent interaction with know that you're a believer and have you begun to try to have some sort of conversation with them that's orienting toward the gospel at least, right? Um, in light of time, we'll come back to that at a different time. So, because we, we have, how do we, how do we evangelize people in ongoing conversation or ongoing relationships? Let's do that one in a little bit. I just want to, let me finish this. That's, that's a great question. So, we have closest, those who are consistent, those who have a casual meeting, a waiter, waitress, somebody you meet on the metro. Um, I don't think you always have to, to evangelize that person. There may be a sense, and again, you, I don't think you can put too much stock in feelings and like, who the Lord told me to do this or any of that kind of stuff. But that casual encounter that I have with the guy at the gas can, I really think I was supposed to. And I think for those of you who've walked with Jesus long enough, we, you will at some point have that sense and you're like, I really feel like I'm supposed to talk to this person. And I don't know either. I don't know why or I don't want to or whatever it may be. Um, but there is, there is some sort of responsibility there. 
And again, I want to be very careful um, to not elevate your feelings to the, uh, the same level as Scripture and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's really dangerous as well uh, because some people can you're just always going on hunches and how you feel and that kind of stuff. I think that's a disorienting way to live the Christian life. That's not the normal way. But I, I do think if, if there's someone who yeah, is, is around you that you sense, I should ask them if there's something I should pray for or I'm supposed to talk to them. I encourage you to not resist that. Um, the Holy Spirit does actively work. Um, yeah, happy to talk about that more. But. And then other countries. So those are closest, those are consistent, casual meetings, and then other countries. Yeah, I'd say for the believer, <clears throat> there's three options. This is John Piper. I'm channeling him for just a moment uh, when it comes to, to world missions, right? So we either send, um, you go, or you sin. Like those are your three options in regards to world missions. You either send through prayer, through giving, through being a part of a local church that is aiming toward that, <clears throat> or you go yourself, or you say, I'm not going to be a part of that. And that is, I think, a sinful response. So, um, yeah, this is, so it would be sinful for our church if we, if we had no overseas missions partners or weren't aiming to develop those. We would say that would be a sinful spot for a, a church to be in. All right, and then finally, number eight, abiding in Jesus empowers us to evangelize. Abiding in Jesus empowers us to, to evangelize. So what we're not trying to do this morning is guilt you with a new law, right? But, but to help us to see that abiding in Jesus is going to produce life. And part of that life is going to be talking to other people about Jesus. This is going to be the fruit that comes from abiding in Him. Again, this does not mean you're evangelizing every single day with every single person that you talk to, but, but are you abiding in Jesus? Are your affections and being strengthened by being near to Him? Are you praying for opportunities? Do you desire not to share? Like, are you like, Lord, please don't make me talk to anybody. Um, if that's you, at least if you see that, bring it to the Lord. Be like, okay, Lord, I don't want to talk to people. I, I confess that to you. Help me. And then dig into whatever is hindering you from wanting to do that. Confess that to the Lord. Um, are you trying? Are you ready? So I'm encouraged. I think the fact that you're here in this class shows that you're, you're trying to become equipped to, to that end. So praise God for that. Be prayerful. Um, so I just want to be really clear that the, the, the fate of people's souls does not rest on you. So the guy with the gas can, um, my sin did not send him to hell. Number one, I don't know if he went to hell. I don't, I don't know anything about that situation. I could have stopped and then the car could have hit me and we both could have died. He could have had a gun and he could have killed me. He could have been a believer who just needed encouragement. He could, I have 10 million things. I have no idea, Right? What the Lord did use that, though, is to sober me, to remind me that the wages of sin is death. And that we need to always be willing and ready to, to proclaim the gospel with whatever opportunities that he has. And in all the ways that we fail in that, we need to remember that Jesus was the perfect watchman. Like he is the one who came and did it perfectly. And then he died on the cross for all of our sins, including our sin of not evangelizing. And then He rose from the dead, and even now, He gives grace to us. So when you blow it, 
or you chicken out. Those are kind ways to say that you, you, you sinfully just don't do what God wants you to do. Bring it to Jesus. Confess it to Him. Because the blood is not going to be on your hands. It's on Him because His blood was shed for you. So, yeah, my, my hope from this lesson is twofold. First of all, to sober us, to help us to feel the weight that evangelizing is indeed a command that we are to be obeying and striving to obey. And to remind us that Jesus is a sufficient Savior for all the times that we don't do it well. And that actually by abiding in Him, we're strengthened. And over time, as we mature, we will not evangelize less. But as we're closer to Him and abiding, more will come out. <laughs> um, and I think these sorts of, of opportunities to pause and to think about it are aimed to help us to do that all the more. So I'll pause there. What questions do you have uh, about any of these um, Let's start with questions before comments, but any questions about any of these eight or anything that you think is missing from this conversation? I require one question before I let anyone leave this room. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna like lock the door, but uh, come on, um, something like this. All right, yeah, go ahead. So age means it's a, it's a t an appointed time, and that appointed time will end when Jesus returns. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great question. Yes, Karen, our thoughtful sister. Are you then required to think about your life and structure your life in a way in which you have opportunities to evangelize? So this is, this is a proactive response rather than a reactive one. So there's, there's kind of two ways to think about the Christian life. One is reactive, where you're like, I'm gonna go, whatever Jesus brings, I'm gonna deal with, which is kind of the season I'm in right now. <laughs> you know, a little bit, I think there's different seasons where that's happening. I'm like, whatever, Jesus, just help me, because I can't really think about anything else. But then I think there's also, so I think the first lesson of next semester, or the last lesson of this one is planning to evangelize. How do we strategize then to intentionally orient our lives in these concentric circles to make sure that we're always ready, prayerful, looking, and how do we cultivate, yeah, fellowship with Jesus and other brothers and sisters to help us as we're doing that. So I think the goal is for us to be an intentional, right? I mean, Jesus has laid before us the commission and the command. So how can we best live our lives, use the resources, time, energy, efforts, relationships that he's given us in order to do that? Yeah, I think that should be what we're always aiming to cultivate and refine because that's going to change in every season. Um, so yes, let's, let's aim to be more offensive than just reactive, right? Um, but there's certainly seasons where you're just, you're like, I'm just trying to hold on and stay a Christian. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's, there's seasons, and the Lord knows we're but dust, right? So he doesn't, he, Jesus doesn't think about our relationship in efficiency, right? So we're not downline in this Amway triangle where he's like calling us and hounding us as to, hey, are you, you haven't gotten any converts recently. Like, it's not how he's, he doesn't act like that with us. Um, yeah, does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, and this will be our last question in light of time. But. This might be one of those impossible questions. Great, I love those at the end.
The good news is I don't have to balance them. The Lord is the Lord's balancing all of that for me. Um, I think theologically, what you can see is that God can both um, He can ordain things that grieve Him. He He can will things that are that are grievous to Him as well. Um, the reality of hell, like He desires all men to repent and to come to the knowledge of the truth, but there's also hell. Um, yeah. So, so what I would say is that. Our job is to let God run the universe and how it all fits together. And then what we need to see is that, okay, what's been given to us, so Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us and our sons are given to us to obey. So there's secret things that I would say something like this ultimately fits into the category of. But what I can know is that what he's given us is, is the commission to, to evangelize, knowing that he's the great evangelist and He's the one who's working, and he does desire to, serve, uh, to, to save people. He's given general revelation and specific revelation. We are stewards of the specific revelation, so let's go do our part, pleading with him to do what we know pleases him, which is to save people, and allowing him to pull those from the darkness that he will, and entrusting all of the failures and rejections along the way to his care and to his wisdom of what he's going to ultimately do with it. Similarly to what Abraham would say in, in Genesis 18, that the just judge of all the world will do what is right. And this is where I'm going to have to ultimately cast it there um, because I'm, I'm just a steward. I'm just a servant. I don't know, all, I don't know everything. I know, what, I know what I need to know to do what he's called us to do, though. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to, to dive in more. That's obviously books are written on that stuff. But. Sadly, we're out of time, which is my fault to not leave better time for prayer, but I thought it would be good to work through that this morning. Happy to take uh, questions on that after this morning's service. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that Jesus was a great watchman who came and warned and um, blew the trumpet, and thank you that in him there is a refuge from the coming judgment. We thank you that he died and that he rose and that... Um, yeah, that in Him we can be um, yeah, forgiven for all of our sins, including the sins of omission uh, and, and not evangelizing. Lord, we, yeah, we cast all of our, our fickleness, our failures, our, our frailty upon You, um, and we, we ask for help. And we ask that You would strengthen us and help us to abide in Jesus and to delight in Him, that our heart would be so filled with love for Him um, that it would yeah, compel us to proclaim His name. Lord, open doors, um, and Lord, save people, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.